Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Shalin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. In this special season, Future of Tech tackles generative AI with interviews with some of the industry's leading thinkers. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes, because what you hear on the show might just be a glimpse into the future. In today's episode, Avi Shai is joined by Sharon Zhu. Sharon was the first person to study both computer science and classics at Harvard. Today, she is the co-founder and CEO of Lomini. Sharon is on the computer science faculty at Stanford and was recently named an MIT Technology 35 Under 35. Additionally, she is an advisor for key AI policymakers in DC and has spoken as a keynote speaker at the McKinsey Tech Summit. On top of her impressive resume, Sharon is interested in learning how AI can impact our world for the better and wants to do her part in leaving a mark on the future. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. Well, welcome to a new episode of Future of Tech. Today, I'm very happy to have with me Dr. Sharon Zhu. Hello, Sharon. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to have you with us. And today we are going to discuss uh, AI, the future of uh, LLMs, and how to educate people about Gen AI. Before starting, maybe Sharon, share with me a bit about your personal background, how your journey into technology all started. I, I I saw that you started your journey at Harvard, and and, uh, so maybe walk us through the main points in your uh, career. Yeah, well, I think something that is a little bit strange about my career is I started off studying classics, so Latin and ancient Greek literature. I honestly started classics because I loved seeing what types of things stood the test of time, you know, throughout history. And I absolutely loved languages and how, you know, how to communicate uh, between people, between cultures. And I definitely meditated on the question of how can I be useful for human history, if at all. I took computer science on a complete whim uh, because I was actually very bad at technology uh, growing up and, uh, you know, made fun of for not being able to use my phone, for example. But I I took it because I felt like I had nothing to lose. And I, you know, after taking it, I realized, okay, wow, I actually can build something here. And maybe this is something that could relate to building building something for the test of time, um, you know, millennia, maybe. Um, and and also it's another language. Um, and that really connects into now building large language models. Um, so it, it really connects, you know, language, community, society. And so so that's how I that's how I stumbled through into computer science and found that I love building and love being creative and um, yeah, and also went into AI with that same mindset of oh, wow, I, I just feel so amazed by these generative models. I just completely fell in love with them. They were magical to me. And and now I'm so excited to see them being magical for everyone else. Everyone else has now been able to 
see the magic of these models, you know, whether that be image generation or language generation. So, so this is going to be quite a geeky uh, podcast about Latin, ancient Greek. <laughs> and, uh, oh. do, do you still find it uh, relevant for, uh, or did you, did you quit uh, the, the ancient studies or did you continue later on to, uh, to explore those uh, languages with the Gen AI? Oh, yes. I actually did explore those a little bit with uh, generative models. And I'm always on the lookout to see, you know, who's adding in Latin for, you know, their translation app or something like that. It's pretty fun. A lot of the fun things I remember from Latin class have been around pseudo Latin. So that's like Latin that is, you know, not actually spoken or used or written in classical times, but that we've now invented. Uh, and actually, the name of my company is Sero Latin, Lamini, which uh, actually is the tribe that llamas and alpacas are a part of. And as you know, with uh, llamas, you know, that's been all the rage in in large language model land because of the letters LLM. And llama has the words LLM. So everyone has been calling these models llamas instead. And, and Facebook launched their big llama model as well. So, yeah, that's actually the origin of the company and, and our name. So wh- when was the first time that you uh, understood that within AI you want to touch LLMs? Yeah, I think it went back to first I was studying AI and I honestly just wasn't impressed. You know, I, I was just not impressed. Oh, you can tell a cat from a dog. So could I. <laughs> so I, I figured, oh, I'm, I'm just not impressed with this flavor of AI. And then uh, I found generative models more broadly. So that includes image generation, that includes, you know, language generation, that includes, of course, anything now, you know, audio generation, molecule generation, anything, um, which is now all sharing the same or similar architectures. When I stumbled upon that, I thought, okay, this is the most magical thing I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> my my goal in joining the PhD was actually... Uh, I. I've had the ambition of starting a company for about a decade now. And my goal of joining the PhD was actually to drop out like Larry and Sergey and start a company. And when I found generative models, I just completely fell in love with them and wanted to explore them more and more. So that so the joke is that I failed to drop out and I ultimately uh, got a PhD from Stanford in in generative models uh, because they were just so magical and they, they kind of captured my imagination. Try, try to explain to the audience what what LLM means and and what this uh, what is it all about uh, so LLMs you know stands for large language model I think what's really interesting is that these are models that have captured language and what's interesting about language is language captures society how we interact with one another what we're doing right now with each other but also what we do with all sorts of people around the world. So it captures all these very human behaviors and very core cultural or societal kind of quirks or, or ways we kind of interact with each other. And so I, I find that really, really powerful on that level. And that's why I think these models are so magical because it does feel like you're engaging with another person or a set of different people all at once. Um, and it's because after reading through all the text that we have online, these models have been able to capture a piece of, of what that is in our society. So that, that's how I would describe it at, at this high level. 
but but in in greater details, you know, the studies of languages, as as you mentioned, is something that uh, was there for many many decades, and people studied languages. So what what's the difference in LLMs than any, let's say, uh, previous study of of languages? What what's the the building blocks that makes it so so different? Yes, uh, I think it's the power of machine learning and specifically the word learning. I think uh, it caught a lot of us by surprise that these models could be so good without, you know, very, you know, being able to put in, you know, whether they be parse trees or context or, or like grammars in some way. I think we all thought there would be some kind of structure that one needed to put into these models to get them to this level of um, this, just this ability. Uh, but it turns out gradient descent is actually all you need. And gradient descent is the algorithm behind machine learning and the word learning at all. And it turns out giving the model terabytes of data to read over and you know tell it, you know, predict the next word essentially. And then if you predict the next word correctly, then I'll give you a point. And if you don't predict the next word correctly, then I won't give you a point. And then over time, it learns to predict the next words correctly in such a way that it's able to do all of these incredible tasks. And I think that that is incredible, that that simple algorithm is able to, across enough data, be able to now do all of these amazing uh, tasks. And so I think that's essentially what's going on behind the scenes is is that incredible thing that instead of embedding a ton of structure, it's it's actually just, there's a lot of data. Of course, you have to clean the data. That's probably extremely underrated task, but that's essentially all you need on the algorithm side. It's very simple. And and what would be the difference between a private and and then let's say a, a private LLM and a general LLM? One thing I find really really interesting is that you know there have only been a couple I would say almost private enterprise LLMs that have really succeeded, but they're very very successful. I think one of them is ChatGPT. I think the other one is GitHub Copilot, um, so owned by GitHub in that sense. Um, and I think the most powerful thing about a private LLM for enterprises is ownership. Um, LLM is the new IP, um, and that means both owning the weights of the model, that also means developing those skills in-house to be able to use these models and control these models. That means being able to personalize my private data and being able to personalize a model across data silos, you know, data slices that actually are meaningful to my customers, my users, to my my roles internally. I think, you know, the only, the, almost the only team that's been able to pull this off so far has been OpenAI because they have so much to compute and then they have so many, you know, hundreds of top AI researchers and engineers to be able to pull this off. But I believe the future of this, and this is, Again, I'm I'm building this, I but I firmly believe that the future of this is actually going to be built also by all the enterprises in the world um, to be able to build their own private LLMs because I think that's the only way to justify for them to be able to uncover and make use of their exabytes of data that far more than the public data out there. I think the public data out there is really just tip of the iceberg. But the exabytes of private enterprise data, I think it's still yet to be used for these LLMs. So give me an example about an enterprise, quote-unquote, private version. What, how, what will it look like? Or, or take us through, you know, like a simple example, even theoretical for such a use case. 
Yeah. So one of the customers that we're working with is in the fitness industry. I like this example because it's understandable by everyone. And they want a personal AI coach. You might think, okay, well, I, maybe I can just ask ChatGPT about this. Well, actually, no, there's incredible expertise that goes into building an AI coach and actually building a personal trainer, of, you know, of any kind, human personal trainer. I, I remember they like, they hired on Michael Phelps and he actually can't be a personal trainer. It turns out just a top athlete can't naturally be a personal trainer either. There's real expertise that goes into being a personal trainer and getting someone, you know, like me to work out. <laughs> but someone like any American, I suppose. So it's incredible that they have all of this data on what good personal training looks like. And they know exactly what it looks like. Um, and they also have outcomes data um, in terms of, you know, what the user actually ends up doing for exercise. And so all that data can be fed in to these models. And now they're building out their own personalized AI coach for their millions of users to be able to leverage. And, and that's incredible. And that's far beyond, you know, what a generic general LLM like ChatGPT can do. And, you know, is incredible, you know, like what it can do in all of these great uh, domains, but it's not an expert in this area. And and what this company is doing is putting out an expert in this area that will, with additional usage, become even more of an expert. It'll just like grow and grow and grow far beyond even what their personal trainers could potentially do. And so um, I'm very excited to see that um, and to see where, where the back grows. So in, in a way, you, you see it as like a, a someone mastering a specific domain, like a you have the dictionary and someone takes it and say, okay, this is Latin, this is Greece, this is uh, something like this, or? Yeah, that's that's right. It's essentially like you, you can start with any kind of base model, like, you know, the llama models, for example, from Meta and models. Like, I like to think of it as layers of a cake. These models have the base layer of the cake. It's learned basic English about, you know, the world, basic knowledge skills. But how would you turn this, maybe you can call it a teenager, in it, into an adult? Um, and how do you turn this adult into one that has a PhD in your area? And how do you turn this PhD into, I don't know, a Stanford professor? Um, whatever, whatever you want it to be, I suppose. How, how do you do that? And that is using data. Like these models have run on data this whole time. ChatGPT has been just a kind of example of how far data can, can take us. So... That's really just public data. So now for enterprises, what I'm excited about is they have way more than just public data. Um, and that data is different. It's differentiated. The way people are leveraging language models now, you know, some of the issues I'm hearing are just I, I can barely differentiate myself from my competitors because everyone, what everyone's built can be built, you know, hacked together on a weekend. So if you really want this model to gain real expertise and to be a real moat for your company, then you have to be able to control and actually build these models um, with, you know, in this case for, for our company, it's fine tuning, like being able to actually take in all that data, teach the model all its expertise and have it up level into that PhD, that professor, wh whatever have you. So using your example, what will happen to enterprise that will not embrace um, you know, this model, what do you think will happen to them in, let's say, a year or two years' time? Oh, I guess I would pose the same question. Uh, what happened to enterprises that didn't get on the internet? So so fundamental. 
I think it's very fundamental in terms of how we will build things on top of data. I think the fact that people are now siloing data, you know, you know, putting firewalls on data has just shown how useful all that is. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think uh, many enterprises need to actually get on this. You know, there are probably some industries where it doesn't make as much sense, but many, many, many of them do. Essentially, knowledge work does. So if you do knowledge work, it, it does. So now walk me through your startup. So there are the LLMs, it's clear. The enterprises need them, everybody needs them. So what's unique in your startup? Why, 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 what was the reason behind it? Oh, yes. Well, first there was just incredible market pull towards this. Um, it seemed like everyone needed something like this. And this was before even ChatGPT started. So we started before ChatGPT. And even those you know, companies that were you know, leveraging LLMs uh, needed help with a few things. One was ownership. This LLM is the new IP. So how do I develop skills in-house and how do I also own this IP? You know, if I'm owning the data, how do I actually own this? Because I'm just hitting an external API and I don't own anything and there's no moat here. The second thing is, how do I personalize this to my data? And, you know, I have all these complex ways of siloing my data. So how do I actually have control to personalize this to my data without needing to build out an entire like foundation model for every single data silo? And then finally, I would say it's regarding kind of resources. So great, I saw that company over there uh, spent a billion dollars on compute. That is not something that makes sense for my business. So how can I do this compute efficiently? Um, I also saw that other company over there hire hundreds of top AI researchers and engineers. Great, but those are completely unhirable for my market. So what does that look like for me? And so I'm building this platform um, with incredible team here uh, to be able to make this far more accessible. So to be able to build out that essentially infrastructure layer for every enterprise to instead of needing, you know, billions of dollars in compute or millions of tens of millions of dollars of unhirable engineers, to be able to do it in-house and to do it on their data and for them to completely own this LLM where we don't own it at all, at all. Like we don't see any of your data. We even deploy into the nastiest like hospital environments networks um, essentially just like super super secure because we don't touch anything like you can just turn off the internet and it would still work that's what I'm catering to I, I want everyone to be able to and every enterprise to be able to build these models because they have so much data that needs to be used for this these models um, and there's there's so much potential so Basically, it's a platform, as you said, that will allow enterprises to create their own LLMs or private LLMs in a much more democratized uh, way and, uh, let's say, simpler and cheaper. Yeah, I kind of think of us as the snowflake of large language model engines, essentially. They're a database engine, right? And they have the fault of having no knobs. Um, but also, they don't touch your data or own your data, but they are the engine that helps run things efficiently for your data. And I think in much the same way, we are we are that engine before large language models. Um, you know, we don't touch your data. That's still secure all for you. Um, but we do help you run these models very optimally and effectively, both in compute and in speed and accuracy. Yeah, that's that. And there are no knobs um, to make it easier for your in-house teams to actually leverage. You run on any cloud, you run on-prem, we are infrastructure agnostic. So everything, everything from 
bare metal to ridiculous Kubernetes setups to every major cloud um, and on-prem. And we, we even sell, given the compute shortage, an AI superstation that does include compute with it. Sounds like a real uh, great solution to the market. So hope to hear more about it and maybe we'll chat uh, separately about the potential. So um, t- t- take, uh, take me through the, um, the implication you see for Gen AI in the, uh, in the universities and let's call it in the educational uh, market. I think this is the new calculator. So I think calculators were very scary. I remember when I was growing up for universities and educational institutions uh, because it felt like, oh no, our kids are not going to do arithmetic anymore and they're going to be left behind. And while, you know, maybe my mental math is worse than had I done all of those <laughs> little math tests, I do think the calculator was an important piece of technology to get us where we are today. And I think generative AI will be very, is very important for education. And I actually am very excited to see it almost force these educational institutions to have to reinvent what they're doing. Because I think a lot of these systems and institutions are broken, but haven't felt sufficiently motivated to change them and adapt them. So I'm excited to see, one, new forms of educational technology, and two, the old methods of, of teaching and learning transform. Because I, I do think, you know, we're out of the industrial age of how to learn and teach. And so I think we should have adapted to that. And I think we, we should adapt to that now. Can you give me some examples about future thinking and how do you believe this is going to change? Yeah, so I think uh, instead of trying to block this technology, I 100% think this is just going to be integrated in. But I think this is just like as South Park hinted at, which by the way, when the South Park episode came out on ChatGPT, that's when I knew it went mainstream. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly outside of my bubble. <laughs> this yeah. is so weird. Maybe when the Simpson Homer will adopt it, it will be mainstream. Yeah, yeah, that that would be true mainstream. He would because he's usually like the last person, right? Exactly. So then he's the last person. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, I think it'll be. You know, it has already affected, of course, both the student side and the teacher side. You know, hinted on at, on South Park, where the teacher also uses ChatGPT to grade the test, which I think is pretty pretty funny and <laughs> cute, honestly. So I think realistically, it will be used everywhere. And given that, you know, it changes what jobs will have in the future as well. So as a result, shouldn't it change how we educate people? You know, if if there are no more people like doing math on abacuses, should we still be teaching that essentially? And so I do urge, and I, I feel like I've always urged educational institutions to adapt and to transform and thought a lot about it, ed tech in general. I've thought about starting companies in it. It just, it feels like the time is right right now to be able to truly, one, personalize education deeply, um, but also Assume this technology is the next calculator. How would you completely redesign education and, and you know, how it is today? And I, I think those are the institutions that will win. And I'm very excited to see that because I think it's been long due. An update, an update has been long due in education. And, and do you see it as a mean for gen, gender diversity and, and to, uh, to push some more equilibrium into the ecosystem? You know, in some ways, I think it really could. Uh, so I think because 
this knowledge now becomes much more accessible. Those who are able to use this tool can now access it. On the other hand, I'm I can't say I, I'm the authority for that. Um, like I would like love to look at statistics on whether how you know whether how how accessible is this technology if it only goes out to those who has who have like phones and laptops and stuff and like what are kids really querying across the spectrum and so like I, I don't actually firmly know that uh, I should hope that it could help but but probably in much the same way that phones and computers have helped so I'm not sure to what extent those help. You've mentioned earlier two topics that I would like to follow up. One was, you know, you said Gen AI is going to change some of the roles that we have in the industry. Do you also see it eliminating some of them? Yeah, I think there are, you know, overall I'm optimistic on how this technology can help humans. Um, so I believe that benefits outweigh the risks, for sure, for this technology. It's not like a nuclear bomb, for example. Like, I just don't see it at the at that same level. I know other people might. I, I overall do think technological progress, you know, beckons change and people feel differently about change, especially when it affects them personally or doesn't. Generally, I am generally pro-technology uh, personally because I do think it has lifted the quality of life over time. For example, a very basic type of technology is just you know, plumbing, you know, that was great. So I'm just looking back at ancient times. It was a massive struggle. <laughs> um, and so I, there are things that are feel like true struggles and that probably took away what felt like, you know, cornerstone foundational roles then that are now just taken for granted. And so I, I am definitely pro-technological progress from that respect. Um, now, that being said, I do think, you know, just like there are different roles today, such as influencers wasn't a job, you know, a while back. And now every single kid I meet, they no longer want to be an astronaut, a teacher, um, a firefighter. They want to be an influencer. I'm like, is this really a job? And I, I realize I need to stay open-minded on what the future holds for jobs because they're going to be really different from what we perceive as jobs today. And so, you know, something I can empathize a bit more about is just, you know, mobile and mobile developers are a new thing. And then, of course, post-internet software engineers became much, much bigger as a category. And so I, I think that has evolved in human history quite a bit. And so just I, I do see it evolving and continuing to evolve. And I do think like maybe this time and me, maybe every single time since, um, you know, for a while it's been accelerating in terms of what that evolution looks like. And maybe that makes it scary. Um, but I do think uh, I, I do think there will be new roles for sure, just like the influencer thing. I think there will be new roles that, you know, the old guard, like me, I suppose, won't accept fully. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm excited to see what they are because I think they will be really different and they will call for new forms of expression. Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling because the other day I met this guy and he said, I'm an influencer. I said, yes, but what do you do? And he said, I'm an influencer. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> See, you and I, we don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I can understand, you know, this, the, but it's funny. You also mentioned uh, the risk, the risk issues. So, and, and you mentioned also in your startup that you're looking into uh, security aspects. So what, what are the, um, the you know, the, uh, the straightforward ones and what, what do you foresee might become also as a hazard when, when touching Gen AI? Yeah, so a huge reason why I'm building what I'm building is so that more people, certainly more companies, but also more people 
can control a bit of the future of where this technology goes um, and have that ownership be a bit more distributed as opposed to con- concentrated and centralized. And so um, I, I, I do deeply believe that if it's like completely concentrated in terms of who can do it, that will determine where this technology goes, what the definition of good and bad are. Um, and, you know, that's dangerous when all the people in control of it might look the same, for example. Um, I know there's a lot of talk on diversity and why why does diversity matter? And at our company, we prioritize diversity. We actually are majority, quote unquote, like diverse by tech standards. So like 75% um, women and, and non-binary people. And so I very much believe that there are things, you know, maybe even just taking a step back, like there are things where you know, I'm not, I'm not black. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Jewish. I don't, I don't actually fully understand the problems that those people feel. And so how should I be given the authority to determine their future? Like, let's say, you know, in a world where everyone is like me, that doesn't seem right to me at all. There are things I completely would just miss. I remember watching the movie Get Out and at some part of the scene, you know, it's about, you know, this dystopian, like, um, world and the police car comes and I get really scared because I realize I'm empathizing with this uh, this character who is black and who normally is scared of police car sounds when in reality I am not like when I, I take for granted I, I feel safe when I hear a uh, police siren normally and so there are things like that where I know that there are unknown unknowns in my life so I would love for there to be far more diversity in this space so that everyone in representing all these different areas could could help help me and help us like catch and understand all of those different things and i think that's why diversity matters i think people don't quite grasp that that and then um of course having role models also does matter you know for a lot of the young awesome young women out there i i i hope that i can um help them be a little bit braver and go off and go do something of their own as well and i i love supporting um women starting companies, but also joining startups, everything. And so, or just dabbling in AI. Tell me, uh, if, if you look, you know, a bit about the future, where, where, where are we heading with Gen AI, like in the next three years or five years? It appears like, a, I, I just heard the other day, um, you know, Sam Altman speaks and the other saying, you know, by 2030, all the world problems will be solved and... Uh, we're gonna. So, where where are you seeing Gen AI evolve into? I won't quite try to <laughs> give quite a hyperbole just yet. Um, I I think the next frontier uh, is around these expert LLMs. Um, so, I think we have all these really powerful single general LLMs, um, but we don't have these experts just yet. You know, I I still can't go to an expert LLM over there and get like the best legal advice I could get in the world. And so I'm I'm curious about where that goes. And I think we'll be seeing a lot more of those. And and that would democratize a lot of the work out there and access to certain, you know, expertise out there. Um, and I think I think that's the next frontier. I don't I don't know if it's gonna be like a completely flip humanity on its head and no people will have any jobs ever. I think there's some like existential crisis thoughts out there. I think that happens with every technological boom, especially when you're on the S curve um, and where 
as people, we're really bad at predicting the future. For example, COVID. Do you remember that? Like, we're just so bad at predicting what was like, this is not bad. Oh, just kidding. This is really, really bad. This is the worst thing. Actually, no, it's fine. And it's just, it just... um It's human nature in a way. It is. We don't think, we love thinking linearly. I think that's all we can handle. If anything's nonlinear, if it's exponential, it's, it's really hard for us. <laughs> And it's hard for me, I, even if I study literal exponentials all the time. <laughs> it doesn't matter. My brain is not evolutionarily wired to think about them that way. So, yeah. But do you see, you know, for us, fully exploiting Gen AI, and, and, I, and I agree with you, it's going to make the world better. Do you see some threats heading our way or things that we should prevent ourselves from or watch out for? Yeah, so there is an area that I am pretty concerned about, and uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about image generation. I thought about starting a company in it. I really, really wanted to, but I couldn't get myself to because I am very much worried about the types of use cases that company would have catered to and supported, including you know political deepfakes on one end, and then, of course, um, like porn deep fakes on, on the other end. Um, and I just couldn't feel like I could, I, I just can't be a part of that. Like personally, I, I couldn't get myself to actually morally accept that. And I, I think, you know, uh, from some perspective, I think you can still build great businesses around, you know, maybe the porn one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about political deep fakes. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that's a good business. Um, Cambridge Analytica V2. Yeah, I, I, I just wouldn't be able to get myself to do that. So I am worried about things there. Um, and that is why I chose to focus only on language. I definitely am worried. I'm actually surprised at how quote unquote good we've been <laughs> as people. Because I think the technology has been there even before this big boom has been there to be able to make this possible in a much, much easier way. And I still hadn't seen much. And so I'm honestly surprised at the human good, and um, I hope that persists. But I, I do think we need to be careful of that. I, li I like, uh, with your permission, to uh, move to slightly different kind of questions, less about you know, the uh, technology background, more about the personal background. So looking into your history, would you recommend a young student today to go and study computer science or classical arts? Oh, <laughs> that's such a cute question. Or, why is the question or? <laughs> okay, maybe both, yeah. I'm I studied both. You know, and this is just speaking from my perspective. I, I definitely think everyone kind of forges their own path. And I'm all about people building their own ladders instead of climbing other people's ladders, uh, which is why I do really weird things like I'm the first person to study classics and computer science at Harvard. I think in some ways, classics does connect with that prompt engineering piece of understanding, you know, how does this, you know, how does language work in a way that I can actually get this model to output the language I want it to output. I think classic can also help you to understand all the curses in Harry Potter. That's all right. The spells, all the spells. In case, in case that is what we, our world gets to. I mean, these are magical systems after all. How, how do you, what do you think I've been prompt engineering with? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know these like backdoor spells that can get you like even crazier capabilities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a well, we can talk offline about that. Um, but essentially, I actually still think uh, computer science will be there in the future. Like I think software engineering will be there in the future. It might look different, but I think it will 100% be there. Um, and 
uh, it might even grow, I think. And I know it's at it, it feels like it's at its peak now, but it, I think it will even grow um, in terms of building out this technology. It's just not that easy to hook the, all these systems up. I would say go where your heart desires still. Um, you can choose either. I think if you're smart, you can still find a way to connect it to what's relevant of that day. Um, and if you really want, which I I feel like I've inspired a few brave souls to study both, um, you can also study both if you want. So, yeah. This is a technology, uh, a technology podcast. So we still, you know, I want to have the technology angle. So for a young a young lady following us, would you recommend, despite Gen AI going to change the industry, to go and to take the journey into technology today? Yeah, 100%. Definitely. Definitely. I feel like to be at the heart of it, you still have to, you know, it still helps to understand all the technology behind it. Like even I am continuing to learn things around this technology and you can get you can get fairly deep. Yeah, if we start talking about my co-founder, he started, you know, he... He built some of the first systems at NVIDIA that do these things. And so uh, you're pretty deep into even hardware for this stuff. So, yeah, I think there's plenty to learn. You know, maybe tell, tell me a bit about your uh, hobbies uh, besides Gen AI and classical studies. <laughs> okay, okay. So um, I guess to understand me, um, and this goes maybe a little bit touching on the culture of this company, is it's cute and intense. So when you come into the office, it looks like a five-year-old's birthday party, five-year-old girl's birthday party. Like there's just pink llamas everywhere, stuffed animals everywhere. Um, But we're also super intense. And I think this is kind of what determines what my personal hobbies are. Like I I really actually like stationery. So I like writing handwritten letters. I know that's super out of date from a tech perspective, but I got into that when I was only doing classics. So I have my own like wax seals and everything. I am weirdly into stuffed animals. I think they're adorable. But then I'm also into uh, intense things. Like I, I really like skiing um, and I used to run competitively. So I also like running. I really like all sorts of, you know, sports. And uh, I also do like some weird things. So I really like meeting new people in different cultures. I love exploring the world. Um, I, I really should have <laughs> introduce myself as Shara. Be an influencer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So uh aside from Latin, which is a dead language and I can't speak with anyone, I can now I can learn other languages to speak with other folks. So I've been to Poland. I know one line of Polish, which is hilarious. Um and then uh I used to speak French fluently, so I loved going to France, Belgium. Uh, and yeah, so I, I just love meeting new people and that could be anywhere. Uh like it could be you know, a cashier um, who's working the night shift and just learning about like, what is your, what is up with your store and like what actually gets sold out and all these things. It'd just be like a fun adventure with literally anyone. And so um, that's something I really love doing. And yeah, one of the weirdest things I did was I crashed a wedding and I got invited to it. So that's also happened. Just fun, like social engineering things I think can be fun. Just understanding people and, and getting, having a good time with, with strangers. So and you do find also time to travel now with your startup or less as less as you wanted to? Definitely less overall in terms of 
travel destinations. However, business travel can take one to interesting locations. <laughs> Obviously, not uh, vacation destinations, but you know, you know. It was a pleasure. Uh, I really enjoyed the time. I thank you a lot uh, for taking the time and joining me. And hopefully uh, in one of your next trips to uh, Israel or my next trips to the U.S., we'll uh, have the chance to meet face to face. hundred percent. Would love that. <laughs> thank you I love very it. much, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write our host, Avisai Salin, directly on LinkedIn.